Hey there, deal makers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm your host, Garrett Lynch, and as always, let's get ready to own it. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing Podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Our guest today is the founder and a board member at the Green Coffee Company, Colombia's largest coffee producer. And we're going to get into the show with Cole Shepard in just a minute. But first, guys, if you want to get together with a group of people that knows about a lot about real estate, check us out at, at the DealMaker Live event, June 1 to 3. It's the number one multifamily event of the year with over 30 speakers and hundreds of investors to network with. DealMaker Live is the place to be if you're interested in multifamily investing. Visit the website to get your tickets. I wanna give a quick shout out to Alec with Amazon. Said this book, the yellow book is a game changer. Thank you, Michael. If you guys want to get a shout out, reach out and leave a review on Amazon and we, we might put you on the show. I wanted to also shout out a success highlight. Micah Haworth bought 12 units in Des Moines, Iowa for 615000 He's a circle member with us. If you guys want to check out how you can buy your own apartment buildings through mentorship, reach out to us at themichaelblanc.com slash mentor. And we have some great mentors that are there that, that can help you every step of the way in getting through and getting your first apartment deal done. It only takes one apartment deal to change your life. With that, guys, Cole Shepard is the founding member of an alternative investment firm, Legacy Group. He is an expert in emerging markets and understanding the movements with high net worth investors and alternative investments. He's based in Medellin, Colombia. Let's get into the show with Cole. Cole, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Great to be here. Yeah, man. So you have a super interesting story. I mean, you're you're an international entrepreneur and the founder of Green Coffee Company. And man, tell me, how did you get into international business? Sure. So I think it probably started when I was about 25. I was working with PricewaterhouseCoopers. I took my first overseas assignment. You know, I started in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I went to Hamilton, Bermuda. So working in financial services, from that, I kind of springboarded into Hong Kong doing M&A, same firm. And I lived between Hong Kong and Beijing for about four years. So, you know, coming down to Colombia, running my own deals, running my own businesses was kind of a natural progression. I think on what I started when I was about 25. Man, so Hong Kong, I feel like I've been, I did a whole like Asia tour at a certain point. I traveled for like sure. 100 days straight. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2016. And I feel like a lot of, there's a lot of international business going on in Hong Kong. And so was there anything like, I don't know, just in general, being over in that part of the, the world that you learned and how to kind of, is it, it's such a hard thing to fathom. Like for, for anyone in America, I'd be like, yes, I got all this other red tape. Uh, was there some <laughs> kind of transition that happened in, in with you being in that part of the world that, that aided in that? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, Hong Kong has always been like a super steroid capitalism, 
right? And when I was there, I mean, that's when you see capitalism really at like its peak. So there's a, there's very few places in the world that I would say are like ultra capitalistic. One would be obviously you'd see, you know, big markets in New York. You see places like Hong Kong. You'd see in, in Hong Kong, you also have, you know, a short little puddle jump over. You have Singapore. And these are ultra capitalistic centers. And I'm saying huge pools of capital. And so I would say one of the things I learned when I was in Hong Kong is kind of the amount of capital that's out there, right? And what we think about capital, especially when I was growing up, you know, born in New York, grew up in North Carolina, you know, what I think is a lot of capital is much different than what you would think is a lot of capital when you get to Hong Kong, right? So in our world, you know, we might look at buying a business, you know, 20, 30, 40 billion dollars. You know, I was involved with real estate transactions there that could be a billion dollars for one building. Right. So it's a it's a different it's a different level. It's like you're playing in that. That's the professional leagues of capitalism, I would say. So how did you even get in in with that? Like, where where did you kind of start to get into that level of playing? Sure. So when I was in university, so I went to NC State University for accounting and finance, got my master's there, finished when I was 23. And I started with PricewaterhouseCoopers doing core audit. Basically, you know, at the time, PricewaterhouseCoopers was the largest accounting and consulting firm in the world. And so they have offices all over the world. You know, I was always a guy that if you gave me a plane ticket, I'd pretty much go anywhere. Right. And so that kind of the propensity to take risk and go to other places that even even though you'd say like Bermuda, it's incredible. Look at the beaches. Like if you actually asked a room full of accounting and consulting people, how many of them would would have the gall to go and move to Bermuda? In in my case, I had two weeks to decide. Uh, very few actually take up on the opportunity. So I would say a lot of it was about you know pushing your skills and being comfortable in what most people would say is uncomfortable situations, right? And so that. Really, what I did is I propelled my skills that you learn in school. You know, my propensity background was finance related, accounting related, business related. Without what I did at PwC and moved through kind of the chains and I guess the chains of command and the learning experiences I got, I would say it's like my PhD in business. I would never be able to do what I'm doing today. Right. And so everything I did, whether, you know, going from core audit in in Raleigh, going to financial services, mostly banking, hedge funds, private equity in Bermuda, and then moving into M&A advisory or mergers and acquisition advisory kind of is a natural progression within the firm. And if you're aggressive and you're willing to basically kill yourself with work. Right. So I mean, those are like, you know, those are 100 hour weeks for years. If you're willing to put in the time, you learn incredibly, incredibly fast, and they'll give you access to some of the smartest people in the world. Wow. So how did you end up in Medellin? Because that's an interesting transition sure. uh, from, from Asia. Absolutely. So I came down, my brother got married in Cartagena. He had a destination wedding. And at the time, I was deciding with PwC whether I wanted to go like the partner route where you're basically doing that for life, or, you know, I, you, you kind of have to jump off the boat, right? If you really want to be, you know, aggressive, entrepreneurial and whatnot. So I was looking at teams either in Southeast Asia or Latin America. 
we only had teams doing what we did in Hong Kong, New York, and London. And I came down to Colombia. I was talking to some partners that work down here and in Sao Paulo in Brazil. And what I saw here in Colombia was a tremendous amount of opportunity. There wasn't a lot of capital. You know, to go back to your previous statement, Garrett, about Hong Kong, you know, the people in my sphere, they, they wouldn't be able to point out Colombia on a map. There wasn't enough capital flowing there. Right. And so when you're used to working in Hong Kong, work the thing you have the most of is capital. You come down to a place like Colombia and you say, man, with a little bit of capital, you can do you can do a lot. So that was the time I, you know, I was about 31 at the time. That was about nine years ago. You know, that was a time when I said, look, I can make some bets on myself. And the worst that happens is, you know, I could always go back and do what I was doing before. But this time I'll know fluent Spanish you know, if I if I go through with it. So, you know, Medellin was just kind of a natural transition. It was going to probably be, I was really leaning towards Latin America with the firm anyway, probably Brazil or Colombia. Those are the big markets that we were looking for running teams in or M&A teams. I, when I came down to Colombia, I said, man, this is, this is something else. And I think there's opportunity here. So I was willing to, you know, liquidate the IRAs, the 401ks, all my personal investments and start betting on myself. So did you just move out there and say, I'm going to figure out a business to to start out here? Or did you already have kind of an idea of what you're going to do? I did have an idea. I did have an idea. What what I was seeing is my background was in banking, right? And so I would see kind of loan penetration rates, the, the lack of mortgages, financial products in Colombia. But the real estate market, especially in Medellin, was quite developed. Like if you come down to where I'm recording from right now in Pulado in Medellin, you'd be like, man, this is like a developed city. But the the debt markets are not developed at all. You know, debt drives real estate valuations. That's that's the key driver. It's not, you know, location, location, it's debt. That's what drives basically all the development of real estate. And so I saw very limited debt and I saw what I thought was kind of arbitrage opportunities. So I was starting with basically real estate flips, doing distressed asset purchases flipping deals, and then eventually got into commodities, basically running my own little commodity house, primarily with fresh cut flowers. I basically had a little trade corridor carved out for Asia. You know, I still had relationships in South Korea and Hong Kong and China. We, I, I brought in a new guy that could do some trading with Japan. And no one in Colombia really has that trade corridor figured out. So I had like a little niche business and it all kind of grew from that. Wow. So, and then you got into coffee. That's right. And how did that come about? So same time I was doing fresh cut flowers. So most people don't know that Colombia is the second largest exporter of fresh cut flowers in the world behind the Netherlands. And when I was doing that, I got involved with people that were doing all kinds of commodity trading, cacao, coffee, other products. And coffee was a natural one to say, hey, this is a natural product of Colombia. I came across some investment groups that were looking for basically real estate collateralized type assets, but they're looking at ag and they needed a project, right? And so that's kind of how the green coffee company was created almost as an asset management product rather than, hey, we have to get in coffee because it's massive arbitrage. What we saw was basically a deconsolidated market that was very, very fragmented. There was arbitrage buying because there was very few buyers and there still are very few buyers of large estates in Colombia. So we found the ability to basically deploy capital at somewhat at scale. You know, when we started, it was like a $6 million raise versus, 
Now, you know, we're raising 20, 30, 40 million dollars at a time. But back then it was consolidate assets, basically consolidate infrastructure and sell down the value chain. And it started really as guys are comfortable with commercial real estate in Colombia and they want collateralized assets and they want to yield higher than what they'd get on, you know, buying a, you know, a, a mall or something like that. So that's where Green Coffee Company was born. So we, we've been having a theme recently of doing uh, like alternative investments. We just had like a wine, basically a wine syndicator on. We've had sure. farmland. We've had a, b- a bunch of different things. I'm curious. I want to understand the mechanics of your coffee company. How does it work with, you know, and for investors? Like, What does that look like? Sure. So, you know, our background, my background is in M&A, obviously, and with PwC. And my partner's background is he's a securities attorney. So we structure everything to be dual tracked, right? So if you're going to invest in Green Coffee Company for interesting sakes, you're investing in a holding company in Delaware, right? And it holds all the subsidiaries in Colombia and all the trading companies, 100% owned. So it'd be the same as investing in an international company, whether it's General Electric, Tesla, whatever in, in the US, right? So you're just buying common shares in a US parent and it has international operations, right? So when we go out and raise capital, we raise 506Cs, so all accredited investors, you know, $100,000 minimums. And then basically what we do is we deploy that capital into farm acquisitions, infrastructure, build outs and acquisitions, you know, distribution channels, and you're building a big boy company that you can either do a corporate sellout or you can throw on a public market in the United States someday. Wow. So how do you forecast that? Valuation forecast or forecast? I guess, I guess, I guess uh, valuation forecast. So like, for example, when I'm coming in, you know, I I can basically offer an apartment complex to be like, hey, we think we can get to this number by this date. Yes. Um, and I, I'm assuming so is you're more of like a fund structure. Ours is more of a multinational corporate structure, okay, right? So it would, exa- exactly what you'd see with a corporate structure of any U.S. public company, exactly the same. So when you're forecasting returns, it would be the exact same as doing. So if you listen to any earnings call of any public company executive in the United States on any publicly traded company. They mm-hmm. say, okay, these are my targets for the year, whether it's quarterly, annually. And we, we project out three or four, three to five years, you know, depending on, on what we need to show, you know, whether it's a bank or, you know, a high net worth investor, we tailor the presentation for that. And really what you forecast valuations based on is EBITDA or net earnings multiples, typically, you know, just like you value any other public company. But what's most important is what are you holding management to and what kind of KPI targets do you think you can hit, whether that be revenue, EBITDA, net income, et cetera. Yeah, that makes sense. And then how do you how do you take your operation and make sure that you have a competitive edge in order to produce the returns that you're projecting? Sure. So in Colombia, you know, we are the largest player in the whole country, right? So one of the competitive edges is we have full visibility of the market, right? So being the the largest consolidated producer in the in the national product of the country gives you like a lot of access into what other people are doing. What we find in the industry and one of the things or one of the key reasons why we've been successful is there isn't really a lot of competition. We know the other major players. Uh, there's a good chance that we're probably going to like acquire some of the other major players, but really the other players in Colombia are largely like farm owning families, 
right? They're not run like multinational corporates. They're run like family businesses. And frankly, a lot of them use them almost like personal ATMs, right? Harvest period is just a time to strip some value off the farms. Capital investment is quite limited. Human capital is quite limited in the industry. So I'd say, you know, readily like obtaining access to information from being the largest player is probably the most important way we say, okay, what is everyone else doing and how do we make sure we stay on top? If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you and set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. That's amazing. How long did it take you guys to become the, the top? We reached that last year. So that was about four and a half years into the project. So from the time we started, you know, I conceptualized the project in 2017. We went live uh, in April 2018, deployed the capital in the first round of acquisition, started the project. And last year, around Q4, we maintained the largest position in Colombia. So less than five years, we went from, you know, a cute little project idea of, you know, an asset management product to becoming the, the largest player in the national product. Wow. How did you do it? One is with capital, you know, one is capital. But I would say the most important besides just monetary capital is something that we always talk about in, you know, a lot of investing chats or with investors, it's human capital, right? So we went through several iterations of management. You know, I had to step into roles of being management when we first started. And then really the goal is to get the best and the brightest, like running the company on a daily basis. So obviously when I have time to do podcasts with you, Garrett, I'm not running everything, every detail of the business every day. I'd say bringing in our international CEO, CFO, COOs, you know, those guys, chief agronomists, those are guys that are the best probably the best in Latin America at doing anything in the coffee world. And it takes time, one, to identify them and entice them to be a part of what we're trying to do, right? So the, the human capital, I would say, is as of equal or more importance, definitely than the, the US dollar capital. I, I would agree with you completely. I think having the cohesive team that's that's going to lead you to to that place, I mean, that's the most important in my in my world as well. That's right. So we we I mean each of our apartment complexes are businesses mm -hmm. and if the manager that runs it is not great the the business suffers and it's That's right. in, in any organization which which is crazy. So with that I mean I think a big fear for people that are going international is like well what if I have to get down into the weeds on some stuff and there's that language barrier. So how did you kind of overcome that whole scenario. Sure. So one thing is I, I was used to working in one, I'm used to working in markets where I don't speak the core language, right? So let me give you an example. So when I was living in Hong Kong, you know, we had a regional role, right? So, I mean, I was involved with banking deals in Dubai, insurance deals in South Korea, you know, asset management buyouts in Taiwan, you know, and I don't, I don't speak fluent Mandarin Chinese. I don't speak Thai. I don't, I don't speak Arabic. But what you're going to find is a lot of the core business is done in English, but 
you know, depending on what the market it is, you need to really learn the language. And if you're going to take it seriously, you need to learn the local language of where you're operating out of. The lucky part for me is Spanish is not rocket science actually to learn. You know, for us to come down and learn Spanish in Colombia or Mexico, you know, it's not like learning, you know, Mandarin Chinese in Beijing. Putanghua is way harder. So actually, like that was the excuse I always use is right before I moved to Colombia, I was learning Putanghua or Mandarin Chinese in Beijing, right? Which is a million times harder than Spanish. So that's a long way of saying I had to learn Spanish. You know, when I first came down to Colombia, started doing my own deals, you know, I would say four hours a day, I was going to a private university called AFIT. It's probably one of the top private universities in Colombia. So it's, it's in here in Medellin. And I was doing Spanish, like hardcore Spanish, like four hours a day. And then when I get out of that, I'd go like do my real job, which is starting to build a business, whether it be real estate or commodity trading. And you just have to take it seriously. I mean, learning a language and, you know, my my Spanish isn't perfect. Like if I had to review a contract in Spanish, I still have to have, you know, legal guys do that. But I can get through all my meetings in Spanish without an issue. One is time. And the second is conscious effort, you know? Man, that is so cool. So it's like you come break into a market. You're like, I'm going to learn this language. How long did it take you, by the way? Languages take me the longest. Actually, the business stuff I can pick up on really quick. But I would say probably one of my biggest weaknesses when I was moving into new markets is the ability to pick up languages quickly. I bet to get through whole meetings in Spanish and make sure I didn't lose key themes. It probably took three or four years, honestly, to get through like, like when we go to like present at the banks and whatnot and have to present the business to the, let's say the heads of investment banking, you know, to get to that, that probably took me six to eight years. You know, I'm in my ninth year now and in Colombia, even though like nowadays, a lot of my meetings are still in English because our team is very international. You know, when we meet with a lot of local banks, it's still all in, in Spanish. So a lot of it is, you know, you have to keep showing up and you need to be physically present in the market. Right. So a lot of the value I have for my investors is, you know, myself and my partner, we both live here, right? We manage this businesses from here. So we live, breathe and feel Medellin and Colombia every day. We don't like helicopter run it from New York where we don't, you know, go and hang out in Miami the entire time and say that we know LATAM. We're actually here every day. So. Man, that, that is so crazy to think about it. You know, there's people I run across. I've been, I've actually been to 63 countries. So I've been to a lot of places around mm-hmm. the world and I don't know any languages other than English. <laughs> so, so for yeah. me also, I, I did the thing where you take, you know, Spanish in high school and I kind of blew it off and, you know, I recognize some things when I'm in other countries, Sure, and, but it always bothers me. I go to, I go to the country and I'm like, I'm going to learn this, you know? Like, oh yeah, totally. Totally. I, that, I, I did the same thing here. I mean, uh, going through school, like I, I went to public school in North Carolina. So I was like, why do you need Spanish, right? I need to learn business so you can get out of school and make some money, right? Even in university, at NC State University, like I had to take Spanish, but I didn't really take it seriously. It wasn't before like moving abroad and living abroad where I'm like, wow, this is really, really valuable to actually learn these skills and take it seriously. I wish I would have done it when I was younger because way harder learning <laughs> languages when you're older, you know, probably our age, we're about the same age, I'd imagine. But I mean, like, you know, for the kids, I would definitely recommend like learning languages when you're young, right? When you're doing oh, yeah. it, when you're 40, it's much, much more difficult. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I want to get my kids, my future kids, <laughs> uh-huh. like a tutor. 
or something just to get them get them up to speed on that stuff in the future because i it, now i look back in the same thing and i'm like man how cool would it have been if i had you know a couple of these under my belt totally totally you guys have no excuse out there for not launching a business in the u.s if my guy cole can do it in, in multiple other countries <laughs> and has to learn a language you alongside you had to you had to parallel there track the language and the business which i can't even that's that seems ridiculous to me it's aggressive it's aggressive that, <laughs> yeah. that life is it's this is very, hard enough man like i'm telling you garrett i mean like doing that again i, I always get asked would, you know would you do it again from scratch i would still do it again no all i have all I would go through again, I would do it again if I was 31 again. But if I had to go and say, look, Cole, there's an opportunity in South Africa, but you need to learn Afrikaans to do it. You know, I don't know if I could go through that again, being 40 this time around, <laughs> you know, it'd be wow. aggressive. I, I would say you need to do it, do it when you're young, do it, do that kind of the, the aggressiveness, like do it when you're young and you have the energy and, and the freedom in life for sure. Wow. Yeah, the, and you can't. You can't just. I was hoping you would be like, "Oh, you can hack this and just use like a a translator or something." And <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah, too I mean, much I, language going on to, to be able to, to do that all the time. Right? I, I do it's see guys costly. do that. I do see guys do that in Colombia. Or you're traveling to Mexico, and people are like playing on their phones and showing out because you can you can translate in real time. There's some cool apps and stuff to do it, but you'll you'll lose people like. I'll put it this way. Like I would, if I'm going out for a debt round or something and I'm going to talk to the head of investment banking at one of the largest banks in, in Colombia, and I start to try to do Google translate on my phone, that meeting's not going to last very long, <laughs> you know? So like, it depends on the, the kind of people that you're hanging out with. But I would say if you're going after like the top echelon of, of business, you need to dive headfirst into the cultural side of the business and the macro environment that you're in. Yeah. A hundred percent. I can definitely see that now, man, such a cool story that, that you have there. So what excites you right now that you're working on? Sure. So I would say the coffee company, the, the ability to continue to scale into new business lines is something that makes it awesome. Right. So one of the things different about us is like, I'm not interested in just rinsing, repeating a business, like buy farms, make green coffee, sell it, and then just do it a million times over. Like one of the cool things we get to do right now is now we're getting into byproducts. So for any of the listeners that don't know, coffee comes in a cherry and the seed of that cherry is what you commonly drink. So if you go to Starbucks, have roasted coffee, it's the seed of that cherry. Well, Right now in the coffee world, almost anywhere in the production or the coffee world, that cherry is just thrown away. It's not used for anything. We're going to be one of the, we actually are the first in the world of any large scale producer to begin making a distillery out of that. So we're making pure ethanol, which is ethanol is a fancy word for moonshine that we can distill down and we can make vodkas, gins. Here in Colombia, famous alcohol is guardiente, which is like anisette based liqueur. And so there's a million things you can do with ethanol. And obviously you could go further down the value chain and make, you know, ethanol based for fuel and those kind of things. But that that's something to where, you know, we continuously have different parts of the ecosystem that we can be creative and do really, really cool stuff. So I would say about the business today, that's probably my favorite part is the byproducts business where we get to be innovative and do some really cool stuff. Wow. That is that's super cool, man. Well, Cole, it's been great talking to you, man. How can people get in touch with you or check you out somewhere? 
Sure. So easiest way to follow us would be on LinkedIn. You know, we're pretty active on there. Look up Legacy Group on LinkedIn, or you can check us out as our website. It's www.legacy-group.co. And you can check out what we're doing. You can see funding rounds that we're engaged in, or you can just see the cool stuff that we're doing in the coffee company, some of the innovation we're doing. Cole, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Garrett. It was my pleasure. Man, I just loved hearing what Cole had to say about capitalism and international. It's it's a topic that's always been super interesting to me as to how these people go and start businesses in other countries and make them successful. So it was really a treat for me to be able to interview Cole because it's something that I've just experienced often enough. I always look at these people as almost like superhuman because you have all these things that you have to look at in the markets you have to understand a whole new marketplace and then add a language barrier on top of it. So it's, it is just something that is, you know, our, like I said, our business is, is tough enough. It's in the, in the U S to start something and launch it and have it be successful, let alone add in the lay, those extra layers into it. So I did love what he said about how he was able to kind of streamline that by doing four hours a day of Spanish and really doing something separate from the business and spending time on it every single day. And it I looked at that similarly to if you're working like a nine to five, you have you're you're working that nine to five, but you want to get out of it, then you have to go and spend time in your business at night or whenever you have free time to get it launched. That's a thing. That's that's something that people do and you have and some people should do to get out of that nine to five and get into something like like real estate. I know for me, I was I was actually working and nightclubs on the weekends to try to support myself while I was building my business. So there's always some version of that, I think, for a lot of people when they're making that transition where they just have to put in a lot of hours to get the results. And that's you know definitely what Cole did here to get up to speed and, and launch the biggest coffee company in Colombia, which is crazy. I would say for you guys out there that maybe are, have been in the U.S., and never really ventured outside of the country much or done too much international travel. It's something that's definitely rewarding. You get to see how a whole other cultures work. Like there's some countries that have more money than you can even imagine that make, obviously the U.S. has has a large majority of it, but I've gone to countries like Japan and I was just blown away how there's Louis Vuitton stores in every single corner in Tokyo. There's just all kinds of crazy experiences and money and especially some of these cities like London, like Hong Kong that you go to and you just get exposed to something completely different. It shifts your mind is really was my experience from that. So, and there's, there's lessons and things that you can take back to the US from these trips. So get out there, get exposed guys to different cultures and put yourself in uncomfortable situations consistently because that's how you grow. If you guys want to learn how you can get involved in passive investing and get in partner with the pros in an apartment complex, reach out to us at nighthawkequity.com slash join. Join the investor club to have a call with us, see if it's the right fit for you. We'd love to chat with you. With that, guys, thanks so much for tuning into the show. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, 
Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault. 